0: Good evening. Terry McMillan is in the house. And I must tell you, there aren't many times in a librarian's uh, life and career where you get to introduce and even carry the purse of one of your favorite authors. So I'm Carla Hayden, and I thank you for joining us for What You Can See is a very, very special edition of our Writer's Live series. Tonight, we are excited and thrilled to welcome back to Baltimore one of our favorite guests and authors, Ms. Terry McMillan. Now, many of you know she's been here several times. She's been the keynote speaker for our Book Lover's Breakfast. In fact, she was the first 25, 26 years ago, and some of the people are here. And this evening, she's here to talk about her new novel, I Almost Forgot About You. And like her previous novels, it is going to be an instant bestseller. Now, before I say just a few more words about Ms. McMillan, I also want to take uh, executive privilege as a librarian to thank her for being the person and the author who broke barriers and proved that black people do read. Thank you. Now, we're in the Central Library, many of you have been here before, and in a few weeks we're gonna start a major renovation. So this is one of the last events that we're gonna have in Central Hall, and we hope you'll continue to come to the Pratt Library and visit with us and our authors. Now our special guest tells us that her love for books started as a teenager when she actually worked at her neighborhood branch library. And now, as you know, she's the best-selling, award-winning author Waiting to Exhale, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. We're all waiting for that one. But please, no more from me, Ms. Terry McMillan. While she's looking, someone dropped their Visa card. You might want this for your books.
1: I want to take a picture. Oh let you take a picture. Yeah. Oh wait. This is just beautiful. My publisher's not gonna believe this, that's what I'm doing. Thank you all. Oh wow, you can hear me pretty good, huh? It didn't sound like it's sitting there. Anyway, thank you all very, very much for coming. This is one of my favorite places to read. I've re- I think this is about, no seriously, seriously. It's always an amazing audience, always a lot of sisters, I love it. How many men in here? One, two, three. Well, thank you for coming. And I would like to say that um, my, my editor wanted me to make sure that I let everybody know she's from Baltimore, and she went to Towson High School, T-O-W-S-O-N. Towson? She's a good editor, too. I like her. Okay, so has anyone started reading this book? Oh, Good. So I'm gonna start at the beginning. And I just read about 300 pages <laughs> um, Anyway, I'm not gonna say anything about the book because that's kind of silly, okay? And I hope you like what you hear, and if you read the book and you don't like it, get a refund. <laughs> I had some crab cakes today. <coughs> I had them for lunch, and I'm having them for dinner. (laughs) I don't know what made me just think of that. But anyway, thank you all for coming. So, can you can hear me? Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna read uh, my main character. Her name is uh, what's her name? Georgia. (laughs) Georgia. And um, don't I look like a stained glass window? you want to know something funny? This is a man's suit. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even have to do anything to it. I like it. But, you know, next year would be a different story. Anyway, I think I have to. Let me see. Can you hear me like this? I just want to know how close I need to be. Okay. No kids in here. Little kids? How little? What? Okay. No five and six-year-olds? Okay. It's another exciting Friday night. This st- Wait, let me just say this. The story takes place in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland. Okay, that's what you need to know. It's another exciting Friday night, and I'm curled up in bed, alone of course, propped up by a sea of pillows still in my lab coat, the sash so taut it's suffocating the purple silk dress beneath it, but I don't care. After a grueling day of back-to-back patience, I'm a few minutes away from being comatose, but I'm also hungry, which is why I'm channel surfing and waiting for my pizza to get here. I stop when I come to my favorite standby law and order criminal intent even though I've seen almost all of them, including the reruns. These days, I usually just watch the first five or 10 minutes long enough to see Detective Gorin stride onto the crime scene in his long trench coat, tilt his head to the side while he puts on those rubber gloves, rub the new growth on that beautiful square chin, and bend down to study the victim. It's at this moment, before he utters a word, when I usually pucker up, blow him a kiss, and then change the channel. I've lusted after Detective Gorin and yearned to be held against shoulders like his long before my second marriage bottomed out. Truth be told, over the years I've fallen in love every Wednesday, <clears throat> excuse me, with, wait a minute, I'm so sorry. Wait. I got a tickle. I'm sorry. Truth be told, over the years I've fallen in love every Wednesday with Gary Dorton's lips as CSI Warwick Brown, and even though I was no Trekkie, Avery Brooks's deep baritone and sneaky smile made me say yes to the, aloud to the TV. I also let myself be seduced for hours in dark theaters, hypnotized by Benicio Del Toro's dreamy eyes even though he was a criminal, by Denzel's Swagger when he was a slick gangster, Brad Pitt as a sexy young thief, Ken Watanabe as the most sensual samurai I wanted to ride on a horse with, and I wanted to be a black geisha and torture him until I finally let him have all of me. (laughs) I hate to admit it, but if I had the energy I'd kill to have sex with the first one who walked into my bedroom tonight, I'd let him do anything he wanted to do to me. It's been centuries since I've had sex with a real man, and I'm not even sure I'd remember what to do first should I get so ever get so lucky again. Pia, this is not autobiographical. In fact, in fact, I think I'd be too uncomfortable, not to mention scared of getting all touchy-feely and don't even get me started on him seeing me naked. Hell, this is why I sleep with their remote. When I hear the doorbell, I glance over at the broken blue clouds inside the clock on a night table. I've been waiting 40 minutes for this pizza, which means they're gonna owe me a free one. I roll off the side of my, the side of my, I roll off the bed on my side, even though the other side has been empty for years. I walk over to the door and yell, be right there. Then I grab my wallet out of my purse and beeline it to the front door because I'm starving. That is so not true. I'm just a little hungry. I'm trying to stop lying to myself about little things, and I'm still working on the big ones. I open the door and standing there sweating is a young black kid who can't be more than 18. His head looks like a small globe of shiny black twists that I know are baby dreadlocks. His cheeks are full of brand new zits. His name tag says free. I'm so sorry for the delay, ma'am. There was an accident at the bottom of the hill and I couldn't get up here, so this one's on the house. He looks so sad. And I'm wondering if the price of this pizza is going to be deducted from his little paycheck, but I dare not ask. I don't mind paying for it, I say. It wasn't your fault there was an accident. I take the pizza from him and set it on the metal stairwell. That's real thoughtful of you. But I'm just glad this is my last delivery for the night. he says, leaning to one side as if he's pretending not to look behind me. But of course he is. This is a real nice crib you got here. I ain't never seen no yellow floors before. It's downright wicked. Thanks, I say, and hand him a 20. He looks as if he's in shock. Like I said, ma'am, this piece is on the house. And I also got some drink coupons you can have too, he says, pulling them out of the pocket of his red shirt. It's a tip, I say. Is your real name free? Yes, ma'am. How do you feel about it? I dig it. I get asked all the time about it. So, how old are you, free? I'm 18. He's still staring at the 20 but then quickly shoves it inside the back pocket of his jeans in case I come to my senses and change my mind. (laughs) Are you in college? I'm hoping he says yes and that he's taking English so one day soon he'll stop saying ain't. (laughs) Almost. That's why I'm working. You really giving me this whole 20? I nod. Do you know what you want to major in? Mechanical engineering, he says with certainty. That's great. Your husband rich. What makes you think I have to have a husband to be rich? Everybody that live up in these hills is, even them two dykes that live next door, and they marry. Those dykes aren't just my neighbors. They're also my friends, and they're lesbians. All right, my bad, he says, flinging his arms up like don't shoot. I didn't mean no harm. I know. Anyway, I'm divorced, and I'm not rich. But I also don't struggle. You cleaned them out then, huh? No. Then he gives me the once-over. You some kind of doctor? I look down at my lab coat. Yes, I'm an optometrist. Which one is that? (laughs) I help people see clearly, I say, so as not to complicate it. Who helps you, he asks, with a smile which throws me off completely. What a loaded question to ask a woman old enough to be his grandmother. Just fooling with you, Dr. Young. No disrespect intended. None taken, free. Who helps me see? See what? Cool. Well, look, I got to dash and get this car back to my cousin. With major thanks for the mega tip. And I have to say, it's nice somebody black gave it to me, because most of the white folks up here ain't big on tipping except for them lesbians. (laughs) What he just said was a little on the racist and sexist side, but I know he meant well. He runs down the sidewalk and jumps into that raggedy car of his, removes the pizza sign displayed on top, and disappears down the hill. I leaned against the doorframe watching him go. I really should have praised him for for, for working to pay his way through college. And if he hadn't been in such a hurry, I would have loved to tell him that he might find his calling in college, and he might not. But I'd also tell him to search until he did. Otherwise, he could end up doing something he just happened to be good at, something respectable that might guarantee him a nice income. But one day, when he's older, like, say, 53, soon to be 54, When his kids have grown up and he's twice divorced and bored with his profession and his life and the thought of trying to change it all, including where he lives, scares the hell out of him because it feels like it's too late. But i tell him to please figure out a way to do it anyway since I'm an excellent example of what can happen when you don't. I turn off the porch light, close the door, and I can't believe all of this is flooding in. I walk across these cool yellow concrete floors and sit on these cool metal stairs and look out at that light jutting up through those navy blue waves and the cool black bottom pool and I look up a flight where both my daughters used to sleep and I look down to where the library and the guest room are and I sit here and eat this entire cheese and tomato pizza. I am full of regret. I get on the freeway, and of course there's an accident like there always is, and traffic is backed up. I get to work late, very late, and I rush past the tall wall of windows and Marina, our six-foot Japanese receptionist, waves at me. She's on the phone sitting behind the long maple counter. In the four years she's worked here, she's worn black every single day, including her fingernails. From here you can only see her shoulders. She waves, and when I get in, I walk over to her and say, "So." What's the verdict? You've only missed one appointment, and I rescheduled. Thanks so much, is someone in my chair? I asked without looking over the schedule. A newbie, and not to sound corny, but she really is black and beautiful. First name Cleo, last name is Strawberry. How cool is that? We must thank our florist. Anyway, Cleo just wants new contacts. You want a Pete's? It won't help, Marina, but thanks. She hands me my appointment list in the patient folder, patient's folder. Strawberry. I head to my office, grab a clean lab coat from the closet, slip it over my boring blue dress, then sanitize my hands. I read over her chart quickly and head two doors down. I tap lightly on the door. When I hear an energetic voice say, all is clear, I feel better already. Marina was right. She looks like a black princess, probably in her mid-20s, she closes the dwell magazine in her lap like a child who's been caught reading something illicit. She reaches over to set it on the instrument table, but knows that's wrong. So I hold my hand out and hand out along with a smile and take it. She looks up at me and smiles back. Good morning, Miss Strawberry. I'm Dr. Young, and I'm so sorry I'm late. Good morning to you as well. I was probably right in front of you because I just got here about 10 minutes ago, so no need to apologize, Dr. Young. I just pray no one was seriously injured. I hope not, too. Apparently, we're going to have to thank our Noel for the referral because her flowers are just, you know, beautiful. So, your last name is Strawberry. That's not a very common name. No, it's not. That's why I like it. Eons ago when I was an undergrad, I had a good friend with that same last name. What college? UCSF. My dad went to UCSF for undergrad, too. I graduated in 76. He was a class of 75, his first name is Raymond. I can't believe she just said that. what she just said. Ray Strawberry and I always thought of each other as best friends with benefits because his girlfriend was at Harvard and he was madly in love with her and I wasn't really even attracted to him at first. But Ray and I were both studying our butts off and lonely and needed some relief, so we made a pact that we would call each other up for sex with no strings attached, which at first we did once a week, but then it got up to twice weekly and then whenever we could steal a half hour. All was going well until his girlfriend came for spring break. And I realized I was jealous because unbeknownst to me, I had accidentally fallen in love with him. I cannot believe you're his daughter. We kind of lost touch after he went off to Yale. Ray was serious about becoming a surgeon. So did he? And is he practicing in the Bay Area? How is he? I'd love to say hello. Wow, what a small world this is. Well, he's passed on. Okay, you yeah, am messing up the mood. I gently put the ophthalmoscope. Mo- op- I can't say it back on the instrument tray. It doesn't matter that I haven't seen or thought much about Ray in all these years. I can't believe his daughter is sitting in this chair in my office and has just told me that the first man I fell in love with is dead. It's been five years now, she says, as she brushes her fingers through those thick black tendrils, a six-car pileup, a deer. Shit. I am so sorry to hear this. So very sorry. Shit. I grab a Kleenex for myself and then hand her one. I give her the exam, measure her vision, and dilate her pupils in total silence. She starts to tell me her father's history, but suddenly stops, because she knows. When we're finished, I write her a prescription for new contacts, tell her how nice it was to meet her, that her vision will probably be blurred for the next few hours and to avoid direct sunlight. On the way out, she hugs me like it's goodbye, and I know she won't be coming back. I'm melancholy for the rest of the day. I don't feel like driving home in rush hour traffic. I don't feel like driving in rush hour traffic and don't feel like going home. I walk six blocks towards Fisherman's Wharf. Even though it's only 6 o'clock, it's almost dark, and the breeze coming from the bay bites. No matter how warm it is in San Francisco during the day, the temperature is guaranteed to drop as much as 20 degrees by evening, which is why I have on my line trench coat with a wool scarf wrapped around my neck four or five times. My hands are in my pockets. I turn left on the Embarcadero and almost bump into a homeless woman blocking the sidewalk. She's wrapped in a grimy green blanket. Her hair is colorless, and her face is dirty. I can't tell how old she is, but what I do know is right now this sidewalk is her home. I open my purse and pull out a bill that happens to be a 20. I put it in her can and keep walking. I do not feel generous. I have no destination in mind, but I'm just trying to register the fact that someone I was once very close to and loved is dead. It doesn't seem to matter that it's been over 30 years since I saw him. It doesn't seem to matter that I can't remember the last time he even entered my mind. What's making me so sad is that he never even knew I loved him. I cross the street and go into a restaurant Excuse me, that's holding happy hour. A handsome host asks if I'll be having dinner and I tell him I'm not sure. He asks where I'd like to sit and I point to outside. I follow him and luckily am seated right under a giant heater. Almost all the tables are full of professionals, young professionals mostly, who work nearby. The water in the bay looks black, and the waves are high and heavy. Ferries to Sausalito, Tiburon, and Larkspur are crossing paths out there. They pass right by Alcatraz. The Oakland and Berkeley Hills twinkle on the other side of the bay, and to the left, through light fog, the Golden Gate Bridge still looks red even at night. I take off my coat. Instead of white wine, i order a cappuccino. I should have told Ray that I loved him before he graduated. I should have taken the risk of finding out that he didn't love me. But what if he did? When my coffee arrives, I sip the foam and then wipe the rim of the cup with my index finger. As I listen to the waves crashing against the dock below, I'm now wondering where the other men I once loved might be. Whatever happened to them? What are they doing? How did their lives turn out? And are they happy? And are they alive? I've done a pretty good job of airbrushing most of them out of my memory, but now I wonder if they've erased me too. I've been in love at least five or six, maybe even seven times. Two I married. Three were full throttle love, but then the transmission died, and the other two were over before we got started. <laughs> this doesn't include the men I only had sex with. That number is much higher. Over the years it became clear that sometimes you fall in love only to realize that you don't even like the person. Mhm. I liked Ray. I liked Ray even before I liked Ray before I loved him. Respected him. And he certainly respected me. He had integrity. He was honest. We talked about anything and everything. He was also a good listener and I learned how to be one too. I didn't put on airs and didn't have to work to impress him. He liked me as is, which is why we didn't play any silly games. In fact, he was probably the first guy I could say I was friends with. After Ray graduated, he went on to yell and disappeared from my radar. I became a better person because of the time I spent with him, knowing him. I never got a chance to tell him that, but I think I would like to let the other men know what I gained from loving them, maybe even hating them. Right now, I don't exactly know because I've never even thought about it before. What I do know is that men have occupied almost 35 years of my entire adult life. That's a whole lot of time. It now seems obvious that the way we're raised has a major impact on what kind of a person we turn out to be, but so does who we love. I want to find them. I want them to know that they were once important to me. I want to tell them what they gave me. I want to find out what I gave them. I want to remember why I loved them, why they loved me. I want to understand why we stopped loving each other, why we stopped caring for each other, why we hurt each other. I want to apologize. I want to explain. I want to forgive them. I want to find out if they've forgiven me. I want to figure out why it's so hard to forgive. I want them to know I didn't forget about them and I just chose now to remember. On the way home, there's no traffic. I feel different, lighter, clear, as if I've just opened a lane for myself and I'm about to enter it. When we're young, we think we're always going to be young. We thought life was going to be one long party, one thrill after another. We knew we would get over heartache and disappointment and failure in a snap because we were going to have hundreds, if not thousands, of opportunities and do-overs. We knew that success, and happiness and love were in the cards. We didn't worry about the future. We were more worried about the next time we were gonna get laid. Now, you fall across the bed when you're not sleepy but just tired of the way you live or aren't living. From the outside, you shouldn't even be complaining but success and a good credit score cannot love you or give you an orgasm. You even empty the trash and wonder what you're really throwing away. You comb your hair and put on makeup and buy something pretty to wear and get your nails and toes, toes painted hot pink And even though you don't feel hot and you wonder who will notice. You shave your legs and under your arms and get your eyebrows waxed and you wonder who will notice. And then one day out of nowhere you stop wondering and start worrying that the best part of your life is behind you. Is this how it's going to be forever? Is this all there is? God, you hope not. On Friday night, I decide not to help Detective Goran solve any murders. Fuck him. <laughs> On Saturday, I decide to go to not to go to Costco or Home Depot or Target or a grocery store for anything because there is nothing that I need. I go to the movies. I buy a ticket to see You Will Meet a Tall, Dark Stranger, not realizing it's a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> And as usual, it's smart and entertaining, but there's not a single person of color in it. I imagine I managed to laugh anyway. When I get home, I decide to reread The Alchemist. Oh, what a night. On Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, Sharp, I text Wanda, my BFF. Meet me at the reservoir. I'll be there at 8. She replies, "Meet you, we'll meet you there. Hooray. Wanda happens to be my cheerleader. She's worried that her best friend might die a lonely spinster. Which is why she's a nostalgia queen and continues to rhyme, remind me of when we were hot young things who used to make men take a number. Well, now my number is 175 pounds. <laughs> she's been happily married to Nelson for 32 years. They chose not to have children and never apologized for a threesome crowd, she said, right after they eloped to Maui. She's been my best friend since college, and even though she's opinionated, Often misses the mark as well as the point. It's also the reason I love her. I drive up the entrance, lined the entrance road, lined on both sides with gi- with giant oak and pine trees. It feels like an enchanted forest. And when I reach the top, while, where the parking lot is, a huge blue body of water is surrounded by hundreds of acres of green and gold hills. I spot Wanda stretching on a park bench in one of her nylon jogging outfits she buys at the. Um, Oh, excuse me. Sorry. To my dismay, Violet, my other girlfriend, who I really feel that I've known since college, who was more like a stepsister, because we break up from time to time, even though I still love her. Violet and her and her and her daughter Velvet pull Velvet pull up right next to me. Why didn't Wanda bother telling me that Violet was coming and bringing her daughter? I wave and smile and don't get out of the car. This spoils my plans. How can I have a personal grown-up conversation with a hip-hopper right next to us? Before I can figure, figure out how to handle this velvet, jumps out of Violet's white Range Rover, runs over, opens my door, and gives me a big hug. Hi, Auntie. Thought I'd join you guys this morning. It's been too long, I say, with as much enthusiasm as I can muster. She runs over and does the same thing to Wanda, like mother, like daughter. She's in skin-tight orange leggings and an even tighter white tank top. She has about a 1,000 blonde braids that hang down past her shoulders. She runs back to the SUV and hops back in. Wanda turns and waves. Um, Wanda turns and waves, okay? Anyway. Of course, Violet's still on her cell phone, as usual, and holds up her index finger to give her a minute. I text Wanda, I'm going to call you in a sec, answer but don't look up at me. (laughs) I dial her number and pretend I'm getting an incoming call. I put a glad to hear from you look on my face. On our walk this morning, girl, I had planned on telling you that I'm seriously thinking about putting my house on the market and I'm considering, I skipped something, okay, putting my house on the market. And I'm considering selling my share of the practice and trying to change professions sometime in the near future, and not necessarily in that order. And Wanda, I just found out that Ray Strawberry died five years ago, which has really broken me up. And even though it might sound like a crazy thing to do, I've decided I'm going to look up all the men I love just to let them know I'm glad I had the opportunity to know and love them and just to see if they're alive and well. I know it may be a lot to take in, but now that Violet has brought Miss Thang, you know we can't talk about nothing real. So I'm hanging up and we can talk about this another time. I end the call and get out of the car and smile as if I have just received the best news. (laughs) Violet and Velvet decide that they are going to jog on the upper path, we are grateful. When they leave, Wanda and I walk in silence for the first 10 minutes. So I say, wait Georgia, I have gotta ask you something. Of course, what made you decide to do all this? Sometimes you know in your heart it's time to make a change, but the longer you just think about it, the longer the change takes, if ever. I'm finally tired of just thinking about it, but let me ask you a question, Wanda. Ask away. You're happy with your life, aren't you? She nods. Well, I'm not. I'm bored with mine, and since my life is the only thing I do have some control over, I want to start changing some of it. I'm listening. Don't you have any regrets? We all have regrets, Georgia. Well, I feel like I have too many. I'm getting old, Wanda. We're getting old. Not old old, but old, older. And at some point, we need to be honest with ourselves and do what excites us instead of what looks good on paper. I think that's how I ended up in optometry. I was good in science, and I wanted to impress my father by proving how smart I was, since he was a doctor. But I just kept on proving it, only to learn later that he didn't care what I did as long as I loved it. So now here I am, not loving it. And even though there's some things I do love to do, I'm not sure if it's too late to find out how I might be good at, how good I might be at them. But so help me, I'm going to really try to find out. Well, finally, this is a Georgia I've missed. Hold on. This isn't our dream of genie, Honey one step at a time at first you have to have the dream before you can walk inside it let's keep walking after 15 or so minutes Wanda finally says let me say this hearing you say you're putting that house on the market is music to my ears why? because you don't need it you've raised your kids fuck grass and flower beds fuck a two car garage get a loft with a whole new view, and this way your relatives can stay at the mot- a motel when they visit. <laughs> I don't trust apartment living, Wanda. Anyway, I just need a new venue. But there will not be a for sale sign in the front yard next week, that much I can tell you. I know, honey, but this is all just fucking exciting. And as far as giving up your practice goes, I say right on. I always thought it was a pretty dull profession with no real payoff, not to mention a little creepy looking into folks' eyes all day long. <laughs> I mean, I never really thought it suited you. Well, why didn't you ever say so? Because that's right up there with parents trying to tell their kids who to marry, who not to marry. You have to find out for yourself that you erred. Anyway, just take some of us a lot longer to figure it out. You need to find something more creative to do. Make me some more of them damn pillows. They were gorgeous. Look, I am not whipping out a singer sewing machine, okay? Anyway. Well, what are you going to do? I just, I don't know. The only thing I know how to sew anymore is a pillow. Anyway, so, we walk around a curve in silence until it straightens out. So how'd you find out about Ray, she asked. And I tell her, and all the reasons I've decided to look these men up, as long as you're not trying to be slick and rekindle an old flame that burned out a long time ago, Georgia, Please, Wanda, you should know me better. I understand that you cannot go back. I'm not sure if I can do it, but hey, this is why people go to shrinks to get perspective and that old cliche known as closure. Plus, what do you have to lose? Oh hell, I see Velvet coming down the path. I would hold off telling this to Velvet, Violet, because she'll probably miss the point. So tell me real quick, who's up first? I think I should start with Abraham. Well, I would hope so. Thank you. Thank you. How long was that? That was long enough.
0: Like to answer a few questions before sure. the book signing. We have sure. two mics, and who'd like to? S- oh, and and do they, do, does everybody know that
1: we, when I sign books, anybody that's pregnant, that has problems walking, um, or elderly, they come to the front of the line. Okay.
0: Thank you. Uh, questions? Anybody? We've got two mics. Okay.
1: This is beautiful in here. Good
2: evening, Miss McMillan. When? Where are of, you? Oh. When? When mm-hmm. one of your books becomes is going to be a movie? Is that does? Do you elicit uh, a cast? not cast, the writers, for the idea, or do they come to you? And then what part do you play in all of that?
1: Um, well, first of all, they usually approach me. I don't really solicit them. I wrote it the way I wanted it. Um, but Hollywood pays good money. You don't turn that down. They don't. They, you don't. Um, the only role that I play, I mean, the, you know, with Stella and Exhale, uh, I was talked into c- writing, co-writing the screen, writing the screenplays. But I, I, you know, I went to college to learn how to do that, but obviously I didn't learn it. Um, and so I, I basically helped. I, I dealt with a, a writer who was very good at it. He wrote a movie called Rain Man. If you remember that? And he's just. So he's a structuralist. He knows how to do an adaptation. And I can write dialogue, that much I can do. So we work together. Um, but after, other than that, <clears throat> the only role that I usually play, they give me this executive producer name, title, they give that to everybody. But um, it's basically just to make sure that they don't screw it up and turn it into something that it was not originally. But other than that, um, that's pretty much it. Did that answer your question?
3: I
2: don't really have a question. I just want to say thank you. (laughs) I started reading this last night. Uh Uh-huh. And I said, why is she in my
1: head? I'm getting ready to have a monumental birthday, and I was... What would that be? Excuse me. What would that be? What, is, what do you call a monumental? <laughs> you brought it up.
2: As one of my parishioners tells me, I am a junior senior. You didn't answer my question. Sixty. Sixty. <laughs> try, try sixty-four. Well, you know, look, two divorces, two strokes, and still moving. Mm -hmm. Work a full-time job, pastor a church, and was reading this because when I saw that it was coming out, I knew it was going to be good.
1: Don't assume.
2: No, I knew it was going to be good, and it spoke to me, and I just wanted to say thank you.
1: You're welcome.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah, no, I'm watching.
1: This is what you're going to do. I thought they had two microphones. We do. Oh, oh, oh.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Oh. Um,
2: yeah, I don't have a question either, but I just wanted to tell you that I always knew that I was going to meet you. Ever since I read your first book, I said, I'm going to meet her one of these days. It's going to happen, and it's happening today, so I'm happy and proud of myself. Um, But I just want to say that I'm also extremely thankful for you having the courage to put your writing out there, for it to to be so wonderful and so excellent. I love all of your writing. I love your movies. I love your outfit, your glasses.
1: (laughs) I just want to say
2: it is an honor, a complete honor.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. People crack me up when they say, I don't, but you know what? I mean, just like, where's my purse? Target. Okay, (laughs) I run into so many folks at Target, Home Depot, and they're like, you know, I'm not Beyonce. (laughs) You know, and I bought this at the outlet, Trinity. Turk. Okay, but the thing is, is this: all I do for a living, I write, I lie, I tell stories that hopefully tell a truth or many truths, and I do it because I want to understand us as women and men and as African Americans. Um, that's why I do what I do. But I don't put myself on any pedestal, and I'm glad that that you guys respect what I do and, to some extent, can identify with it and relate to with it. But. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need to be revered to some extent, respected and appreciated. I'm grateful for, but um, I go through the same stuff. Y'all go through. (laughs) Okay. So just, just keep that in mind. Because I've had a lot of bookstores um, and, you know, you know, folks say, you know, I mean, some, some of the black newspapers that I've, I've interviewed, you know, they're like, well, Ms. McMillan, you know, some few writers, they, they, you know, they don't even talk to us anymore. I'm like, you know, when you, when you forget where you came from? No. If my mom was here, if she even thought I was trying to be cute. You know, but it's it's called respect because I don't I don't forget where I came from, and we all from the same place. Even this bun, six ninety nine from the beauty from the beauty supply. (laughs) Ah, I'm not kidding you, and I have four of them. And when you get up close, when I get ready to sign your book, you will notice this eye has more lashes than this one. (laughs) Because I slept too hard and I was on the view last week and they put, this girl put on on eyeliner and it was waterproof eyeliner, which they told me not to but I didn't know she was doing it. And so some of these lashes came off and this one didn't but I don't know how, I'm not pulling them off. (laughs) So just don't think, you know,
4: that's how tacky. Another question. Yes. Uh, good evening, uh, Miss McMillan. My question is: Good evening. Um, have you shopped your um, book, the current book that you have? Have you shopped it to Oprah, Tyler, or uh, Mr. Lee Daniels for a TV movie? Miss Who? Uh, Miss Oprah, Tyler, Nee uh, Daniels, the Empire. Or and, and and I also want to know. Can you talk about? Because um, I think I think I think the other two movies that you the other two Stella guy Rubeck Back and Waiting to Exhale very good movies. And I think uh, this will be a good book too because it's dealing with some real issues of women's lives. And how dealing. old might you be? I'm 34, and my, question, my other question is, can you also talk about the ups and downs of your um, career as a beginning author? Okay. Can I do what? Ups and downs
0: of your career. That's a whole bunch
1: of—I know. Let me just say this, okay? Um, I don't approach other people about turning my books into movies. I don't write them to become movies. And like I said earlier, you know, if someone approaches me, and it's a little early for this too, out of all the books, this would be the one I would want to see as a film, to be honest with you, because it deals with a middle-aged woman, um, a woman who is in her 50s, who is still, um, yeah, I mean, my attitude is that a lot of people think that once you turn 40 and 50, it's all downhill from here. It's not. You know, um, we are still... Seriously, and I'm not saying it to be cute or anything like that, but, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, is this. You know, life is not over at 40 and 50 and 60. And we can still be, we can still be sexy and sexual beings, and, and we want excitement in our life, too. I mean, come on. Personally, I'm sliding into home. I'm not gonna be pushed. But you know, I don't, um, I'll put it this way. Years and years ago, what I did is I, start, I started writing by accident, but I don't write because I think I know everything or because I think I have it all figured out. I write just for the, uh, the complete opposite reasons. Um, I write because I want all of us to be happy. I want all of us to feel, be full of joy and merriment and feel great about being alive. And sometimes things happen to us that cause us not to. And sometimes there are things that are outside of our control. Sometimes there are things that we do to ourselves. And the bottom line is, is we don't get another chance as far as I know. So I just try to write stories that depict us dealing with realistic problems and in a realistic way and get, to get a chance to jump inside. I get a chance not to be Terry McMillan and um, worrying about crab cakes, but um, about what other people are feeling and it's a way for me to, to develop a certain level of empathy because um, all of us have problems. I don't care how much money you have or whatever and love is important. We all function better when we feel it and we just do. And, and when we have sex, when you throw both of those together, And if you can pay your bills, shit. (laughs) It doesn't get much better than that, okay? So. Ms. McMillan, can I say something? Wait just a second, let's
3: see. You forgot? No.
1: Who's talking, where? Yes.
3: Hi. Hi. I may not get a chance to um, get you to see this because you have so many messages, but it's very nice to tell you that this is a generously appealing day. That I thank you for rewarding your audience in this partaking, and this is my first time viewing your live presentation. And I feel that these women here have never forgotten their nativity because we are here. Have never forgotten what? Their nativity where they have come from, Oh. because they are here to hail you today and feedback to your literary accomplishments that you wish to share with us and that you do share with us. So in closing, this vignette for you is Joy is the Victory of Love. Everyone does love you and your writings, and God bless you for all times.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.
4: I can't follow that up, but I just wanted to tell you that I love your love
0: your writing, and I loved Who Asked You, the book before this one. Oh, thank you. And this book here is it's the beginning of it, what happened with um, the first guy, kind of happened to Abraham. Twice. Yeah, two of them. Dead. So I'm in the middle of the book, so I'm not sure where oh. I'm going with this, but I just wanted to take another moment to, t- to say that this is our jewel and our gem
1: that what? This is our jewel in our Jim, Miss
0: Dr. Carla Hayden. I love her.
3: <laughs>
0: now you know for a librarian, that's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you.
5: Okay. Um big fan of yours. Read your first book, Mama I was like eighteen. I read it in one day. Like I just love you. I've read it twice actually. Um, thank you, avid reader. Um, I was just wondering, have you ever thought about collaborating with your sister?
1: My sister doesn't really write anymore.
5: Because I've read a few of her books too, and I think you're both talented. So just add thank
1: it. you. I mean, I still love her. She's still <laughs> my sister, but she's doing some other things now. And I don't
5: know. I don't. I mean,
1: it's kind of hard to do a collaboration with anybody. I mean, everybody has their own voices and their own way of telling a story. Um, I. Uh, one of the things that I have wanted to do is to write what I call a continuous novel, where maybe just say hypothetically, I would write the first chapter, and then another writer would write the second chapter, and then another one would do the third, so that you end up with this. Um, uh, what's that? What's that salad called? Uh, what's that salad called with uh, ambrosia? But you know, I think it could be interesting but I don't know yet. But my sister is fine.
5: I've seen you eight times, just wanted to say, in two countries in four cities. In two countries? Yeah. (laughs) Where, London? Toronto, I'm originally from Toronto, and I just just love everything about your writing. Um, I wanna say, you have developed quite a brand. I teach PR to authors. And um, we talk about branding, and I use you and Stephen King in my book that I wrote for Authors and How to Do PR, and the brand that you've developed. Um, What I really want to ask, I don't know if it's a conscious brand that you've developed, but what it is, what I love about you is the authenticity of it. And you see authors trying to be who they're not. And I just want to applaud you for that because you have a brand that says you're a strong African American woman, your characters, and there's almost no apology to it. And I just want to thank you for that. And I'm just curious is it a conscious brand or is it just really what you do?
1: Well, you know what? This is no offense to you, but I hate the term brand. I hate that. Um, You know, I mean, I'm not a performer, I'm a writer. And it just so happens that I have, over the years, um, gotten a larger audience. And so, because I write the way my characters talk, all I basically do is... You know, I mean, I'm like the conduit. And, you know, I can sound like an old black woman. I can sound like an old white man. I can be anybody when I write a book. And what I do in front of an audience is to... I don't put on airs because it's a waste of energy, and I'm not trying to, not trying to be a brand. I'm trying to be an African American woman who writes stories that hopefully reflect some levels or some aspects of our lives. And it just so happens that over the years, unbeknownst to me, I've become popular. And it wasn't something that I tried to do. Um, It's something that happened. And so I don't want to pimp that. Um, And I also don't want to take it for granted. Um, I don't try to imitate anybody. Um, And, you know, all of my friends know that, you know, I can be just as silly and crazy and loud and verbose and mean spirited. Um, like everybody else, and so when I stand in front of an audience, you know, is not a performance. You know, um, I feel like it's sort of like, a... and I've told I've told my editors and all that because I have a new new editor, a new publisher, and I said that's why I had to take your picture because they're not going to believe this. And I said, you know, they because I had like a hundred and some odd people in New York, and they're like, Oh, Terry, you have such a great audience, and I was like. And it, it was raining earlier, because I said, you don't understand. And then my other, one of my other publicists, she went to this one event, and I said, let me warn you. And this one was a whole bunch of folks, okay? And she, I said, I want to tell you, when it's good, there's like church. It's like this call and response thing. I said, you will hear people say stuff out loud. She didn't even know what I was talking about until it happened. And this woman sitting in the front row saying, girl... And she looked over and then she said, tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it. And I said, you know what, and that's the beauty of it. And like I heard it tonight, you know, Um, and and all it is, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, I don't know you, but I know you, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's a sort of a sisterhood, friendship. And that's why when people say, you know, like when you say, oh, I've always wanted to meet you. And I was like. You know, because um, there are a lot of writers that I love, and I, I don't care if I ever met them. Because I, I fall in love with what they have on the page, and that te- that tells me who they are and what they care about, you know. So I'm grateful. And without you, there would be this, you know, I mean, there would be these books, but it's just different. And the other day, my son said to me, who was 32 years old, and fine and six foot two. Looks like Draymond Green, except he's finer. Stanford University graduate, guitarist, who now works at Enterprise, (laughs) because he said one day he wants a family, and I was like, guitarists have babies, and they take care of it. Anyway, he sent me a text and said, Mom, I just want you to know He said, I just want you to know how proud I am to be your son. And, and I've been watering your plants. <laughs> They're not dead. When we, he went to Stanford, and um, not because I, wasn't, I, was not, I was not one of these mothers that pushed him with the AP, this and AP. I just raised him to be a polite young man to show other people respect. And um, he didn't even know how popular I was when he was little. Um, and I never used the word famous. I just say popular. And when he went to Stanford, his roommate who was Chinese from Alabama with a southern accent <laughs> asked him, well, what is your mom and dad, what do your mom do? know, do for a living. And he said, oh, she's a bartender in San Francisco. (laughs) So, and then when he got there, you know, I met all the black students and their families when we got there, and, and Kamala Harris gave his, um, yeah, anyway. Um, and then they found out. But the beauty of it is that in 32 years, he has never asked me for a dollar and so i am just as proud but he does take gift cards
0: <laughs> we've got time for one more quick question before the book signing
4: i just wanted to say
2: uh, i've never seen you live i've always read your books uh, how stella got out of her groove back showed up for me in a dark area of my life. So thank you for that. You're and I'm welcome. from Washington, D.C., so we're going to inherit your wonderful um, Dr. Hayden. So you'll be coming to D.C., to our libraries. But I just, oh. wanted, to, I just wanted to say um, thank you for being so humble. Um, and I'm a new writer, but I'm a singer and a writer. So cool. your humility speaks more volume than your books. So thank
1: you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, all, everybody. Thank you, Ms.
0: McMillan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please, one more hand for Terry McMillan.